0: This is Real Good by US Bank, a podcast about helpers.
1: We have hurt, we have pain, we have challenges, and we have insecurities just like everyone else. And by the way, just because we have those, it doesn't mean I can't be a leader. It doesn't mean that I can't be a great ally. It means I am human.
0: I'm Faith Saley. This show was born out of the coronavirus crisis. In our efforts to understand where work needed to be done to help communities in need during the pandemic, we learned that the issues they were struggling with didn't crop up during COVID. They're long-standing concerns with roots in racial disparity, socioeconomic opportunity gaps, and so much more. We're here to give you a chance to meet those who are fighting against inequality. They're people who span a wide range of fields and enact very different missions, but one thing remains the same for everyone you're gonna meet. They're helpers. They're doing real good. This week, we're doing something a little different. Our previous episode with Dr. Shepherd was the last one we had scheduled for season two, but we really wanted to get together and have another conversation for the show. We didn't want to wait until next season because there's so much going on right now that deserves to be talked about. And if we speak with people who understand what's happening in the world today, there's so much we can gain from listening. Today, our guests are Greg Cunningham, whom you've heard in our series, and Anna Mock, the global lead client service partner and Asia Pacific lead at Deloitte. She's also the co-founder of Ascend Leadership. Ascend is the largest nonprofit pan-Asian membership organization for business professionals in North America, and they do incredible work in providing connection and support for the AAPI community. Work that's more urgent than ever. The model minority myth has obscured the long standing effects of racism against the AAPI community. And in recent months, we've seen troubling spikes in anti AAPI sentiment. There's a lot of work to be done. Lucky for all of us, people like Anna and Greg are leading the charge. Hey, Greg. It's it's been a year since we started this project. A, yes. a lot can happen in a year. We we began our conversations during the beginning of the COVID nineteen crisis, and now, of course, we're, we're lousy with vaccines. Vaccines are everywhere. <laughs> it's 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 truly miraculous. Um, we have yeah. talked for two seasons, and I. I wanted to get your thoughts, you know, reflecting on the last year of COVID, what are some of the takeaways that you have as, as a human person and as a leader at U.S. Bank?
2: Man, one year later, Faith, it seems like it's been uh, so much longer, actually. But, uh, you know, I, I was reflecting on that the other day and the, the word I came up with is languishing. Right, mm. It's sort of that middle ground between I'm not okay and feeling a sense of joy. I think most people are sort of in this space of languishing and really, you know, somewhat saddened, but hopeful. Yeah. And I think we've got to, what I'm searching for and trying to give is a sense of grace and healing so that we can move people, you know, further from this middle of, what I, what I'm describing as languishing and more towards this sense of joy and hope. And, um, that's really how I feel. You know, there are days where, you know, I, I feel a sense of, um, you know, depression and anxiety there are days when I have real joy, but I think for the most part, uh, most often I feel this sense of languishing and just a sense of, you know, not really sure what's going to happen or where I should go or, and, uh. But um, I do I do sense a great deal of optimism and I sense um, a greater sense of grace amongst people happening, which is terrific.
0: I'm so grateful that you just listed all those words like they're 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 I can feel emotion in the top part of my (laughs) chest just from hearing the words languishing, um, depression, grace hope, joy, because that's like the, yeah. all the things, all the things are happening right now yeah. to everybody at once. Yes. And, yes. and you know, we've, yeah. we've spoken about this in past episodes, the fact that you are a leader at U.S. Bank and you <laughs> express those things with, with vulnerability. That's, that's really yeah. important. So thank you.
2: I think it's critical, and I think it helps others, and I think it makes me a better leader. And I think it helps my words and my work be more credible and meaningful for people. Even if you are somebody who is skeptical about the work of DEI and what it means, I think when you see a leader who is willing to be vulnerable and speak their truth and invite you to do the same thing, it doesn't matter whether we agree or disagree, um, but this notion of grace, and I think people want to feel heard, um, yeah. which is different from listening. And yeah. like I try to give people the respect of like really hearing them, and really being in the moment. When even even people who I fundamentally disagree with, I think we're able to find common ground when they sense I'm really really hearing them, and I'm really focused on what they're saying. And that has been hard for me. <laughs> that has been difficult mm. because I've had some difficult conversations with people who I fundamentally disagree with. But I'll tell you, it's been such a an important thing because we are able to to share books and share ideas. And you know, I've found myself building connections with people that I've never would have before. And um, that's been an important part of this journey for me because it's all so heavy you know, as a leader, we're carrying so much, we're carrying our own personal burdens, we're carrying the burdens of our teams, we're carrying the burdens of communities that we represent. And, you know, to be that, that person that's willing to give so much of yourself, um, you also have to, you know, not lose sight that uh, this notion of care and grace is really important uh, at this time.
0: Uh, and you're carrying people's expectations.
2: That as well, but yeah. you know nobody's harder on, on in, in that respect than I am on myself, and and sort of because I I think you you and I have talked about this over a number of episodes actually, like this is a moment, like this is our generation's moment. Um, you know, as Coretta Scott King has always said, you know, for you know for all of us, this notion of of freedom and equality is not something that is just granted to us; we have to earn it, and every over generation and over, earns it. yeah over and over and over again. You have to keep earning it. And this is our generation's moment um, to earn it and respond in time and be brave. And so I embrace that. That actually fuels me because now Mm -hmm. I, my life has so much more purpose and meaning when I put it in that context that it makes the burden a lot easier.
0: What are you proudest of when, when you think back and think about what US Bank has done for communities in need this past year?
2: I think for the organization, um, I'll speak in, in that context first, I think for the organization, I'm proud of that we, that we listened. You know, we, ta- we, we took the opportunity to really hear um, our employees, to hear communities, that we were willing to learn, to take that information and understand that, you know, so many organizations, Faith, are so destination focused. And I think we've got to stop being destination focused and we've got to be journey focused and realize that it's it's a process. And so for us, this notion of learning has been incredibly important. And then the third thing that I'm really, really proud of is that we've never hesitated to take action.
0: Yeah.
2: Is that after steps one and two, you actually have to commit to something. You actually have to do something, which is why I'm so excited for this conversation today with Anamok and Ascend and, you know, in all of the work that we've done over the last year, we've committed to real, tangible actions that people could hold us accountable for, and that we've held ourselves accountable for.
0: I'm I'm excited to bring Anna in too. I have I have one more question, and thank you, Anna, on, for your I'm patience. I know, ready. I know. <laughs> um, uh, we we began our first episode was was right at the time of George Floyd's murder, and recently yes. the trial results came in right in your neighborhood. Um do, do yes. you have any thing you want to share about that and or what we all need to do on a corporate and personal level to, to keep pushing toward a more equal society?
2: I guess I would share a really personal story. Faith, I um you know the the verdict came in I believe on a Tuesday. Um, but that Sunday, um, my my wife and I were out and we we live maybe five minutes away from um from thirty eighth in Chicago. Um uh in Minneapolis. Which is where he was Minneapolis. killed. Minneapolis. I'm sorry. In Minneapolis, in which Minneapolis, is where he was killed. Yes. Minneapolis, right. <laughs> um and so we actually spent uh, the afternoon at George Floyd Square. Just you know, there are a number of services and um, and, and speakers and things happening, and we just kind of wanted, prior to to whatever the verdict was going to be, we just kind of wanted to spend a moment um, there in that in the, in the community, just kind of living in the space and living with the moment, and you know, sucking it all up and just leaning into it all, um, and you know what what has really sort of. Um, First of all, who would have ever thought that Minneapolis would have been at the center of civil and and you know racial justice issues? And I feel so fortunate to be doing this work at this time in this community. Um, there's some work underway that is um, that is black led, and that's what I think is really different this time. There's some work underway called the Alliance of Alliances, which is about how government, business, and community all sort of align around shared priorities to move this entire region forward. The difference, Faith, though, is that it's being Black-led. It's this notion of Black-centered design and how do you start with the needs of the community and Black leaders and Black-led organizations putting forth an agenda that is supported by the business community and supported by our elected officials. But that's what's different this time, is that it's Black-led, that it's a long-term commitment. We realize that these disparities have been centuries in the making. So they're not going to go away in five years. They're not going to go away in 10 years. So we've got to be in it for the long term. And then the final piece is we have to do it together. We need all communities coming together. We need all organizations coming together. We all need to be in this business of collective um, uh, and shared outcomes. And so. I'm so hopeful. That's the work that's being done here in Minneapolis. And we got to get you out here. I'd love to have you come to Minneapolis whenever we can, um, because I'm so excited about the work that is taking place in this community. I I think it could be a model for many cities around the country. I just, this is a community that is ready, willing, and and able to respond. So um, we had a prince here. We had a prince. Like, how could we not be, you know? (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I I I would be honored to, to record some of that sound and uh, show up fully vaxxed. Um
2: I got something for you. Season four, I got something oh, for you. Oh, I'm
0: so excited. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, Alliance of Alliances is a new superhero movie.
2: Yes, there it is. Um, there
0: it is. Uh, Anna Mock, you have been listening and nodding emphatically and very, very patient. And Greg and I are both very happy and grateful to ask you to enter the conversation. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: You are the Global Lead Client Partner and Asia Pacific Lead at Deloitte, and you are president and chairman of something called Ascend Leadership, right? Did did I check off all the boxes?
1: Yes, you did, Faith. You are so awesome. <laughs>
0: no, 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 no. You have all the yes, titles. I just listed them, but you're very kind. Um, and, and and those are lofty and important titles to hold. What exactly does your work entail? Let's start with the with the Deloitte stuff. Global Lead Client Partner and Asia Pacific
1: Lead. So for my Deloitte work, I get to spend all my time really working with amazing clients across the world uh, and helping them achieve their business objectives. So I am the lead partner on some really amazing client accounts. And then the second part in our Asia Pacific role, I really work with those practices outside of the U S and Asia on how we drive business growth, support our people, and really bring new solutions to our clients and do that in a global context. When you do your work, a lot of fun. um,
0: uh, when you do your work, how many languages do you speak? Do you you you
1: were born in Hong Kong, right? I was born in Hong Kong, raised here in San Francisco. So I speak uh, a bit of both of Cantonese and Mandarin, and but English is my primary language. And then clearly, I know how little bit of many of the different Asian language. I even know a little bit of British English because I have clients that are headquartered in the U.K.
0: Um. So. Uh, so. Also, when you're traveling around the world or Zooming with people all over the world, most people are sitting down and speaking English with you.
1: Yes, largely. That is the most common business language that we use.
0: Our country is so lucky and lazy. (laughs)
1: Spoiled. (laughs) Spoiled. 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 You really have to learn others' languages for now, at least. I think the world Can is changing, and there will be other languages. Yeah, my daughter is,
0: is just turned seven today, and she's learning Mandarin, and it's awfully cool. Um, yes. Your LinkedIn profile lists you first as a metamorphic leader. I love that. It makes me think of a butterfly. What does that mean to you?
1: For me, it means I'm personally always evolving, Just like butterflies evolve. I still, I think I'm evolving as a leader, but also I, when I was trying to come up with what best described myself, I think my goal and ambition is to really help others as a leader evolve and get to their full color and to be able to express all of themselves and all the colors and the complexities and subtleties, just like you would see in a butterfly.
0: That's beautiful um and and you have been doing this kind of work for what at least 20 years so how a long time yeah so so talking in terms of evolution how have you what are some of the major changes um that you've seen in how DEI has been approached during your time
1: i think uh, a couple of things one i think there's just more awareness right especially in the business context of the importance of DEI. You know, earlier in my career, you know, we would start in companies with these small employee groups. We would talk about it, but really, I would say a few decades ago, the DEI journey was frankly more about women and gender.
0: Hmm.
1: And I've really seen that evolve over the last few decades from a company standpoint. And then I think also over time, us as individuals, we've really recognized this concept of us having, if you want to use the word intersectionality, or you want to use the word that we're not one dimensional. We have many dimensions to our identity. So for myself as an Asian, as a female, as a person who is an immigrant of background with immigrant parents, and as a mother. So there's so many intersectionalities to our identity and we bring all of that to work every day. Uh, and we bring all of that to society. I think we have a greater recognition of that as individuals, and in turn, we're actually changing, what right, How companies engage with us as a workforce, but also as consumers too.
0: Yes, this this sounds like a, a lot of what your what your goal and your mandate is as uh, the president and chairman of Ascend Leadership, right? Which which is a nonprofit. Uh, a pan Asian organization for business people in, in North America,
1: right? Correct. Right. Um, yeah, that's our goal to have people really reach their full self and full potential and bring all of that to bear in the organizations they are with.
0: How did you get involved in Ascend?
1: I have the privilege of starting the organization uh, 16 years ago with some other colleagues. And we started it because we were already. I would say mid-career at that time, and we were looking around our companies and saying, what happened to all the Asians? We were graduating already in record numbers in the 80s and 90s, yet we weren't seeing us accreting into senior leadership roles in equal proportion. So we said, we need a network that really focused on Asian-Americans in business where we can support each other and our development but then also really be a voice as we engage with companies to shine light on the needs of the Asian workforce and the value that we can bring to companies. So that was the simple goal that we had 16 years ago. And it's been such an amazing journey to be working with like-minded people, both Asians and non-Asians, and really helping us realize and continue to realize what that means.
0: Do you have any personal stories, Anna, of where you feel like the fact that you have an Asian background and an Asian identity um, was, was a source of bias for you professionally or bias, you know, directed at you. (laughs) So that's a silly question. So many, so choose your favorite slash worst.
1: So many. Um, And you know, Greg has heard me talk a lot about this model minority concept. Um, which I we may get into a little oh, bit yes, more. Oh yes, please. There is tremendous pressure for those of us as Asians to perform, but conform within the box of what a model minority looks like, which means we always have to work super hard. We don't complain. We should be happy and pleased that we have great jobs, and that you know we we shouldn't challenge. And so throughout my interactions, and I have had the privilege of talking to so many professionals like myself, you know, the stories of us as a woman, you know, always being asked perhaps in meetings to, when you walk into meetings, people think you're the lowest person on the totem pole, but I might be the more senior person that's walking into the room with the teens. That happens uh, all the time. Um, the fact that perhaps then um, say, well, you didn't speak up enough
0: mm.
1: because we're measuring uh, the uh, the quantity of words as one of the marks of leadership, whereas we should be looking at maybe there's a different style of leadership mm-hmm. that we need that is more inclusive
2: than what the historical image of a leader is.
0: Greg, you're nodding your head.
2: Well, I because Anna and I have had many conversations in this notion of the model minority myth, and I do want Anna for you to spend a few more minutes just sort of talking about the the history behind it because this concept, faith, is a is an important one for many reasons. Um, one of the other reasons I think it's important is because the myth actually pits um, minority groups against each other. Yeah. Right. And
0: and and when you say that, Greg, it's this notion mm -hmm. of somebody saying, well, how can tell me if I get this right? How can black Americans complain about not getting ahead in this country when they look at Asian immigrants? Look how hardworking and successful they are. Is that correct? Is that if
2: you were if you were only, you know, worked as hard and focused on education Look how great the you know the Asians are doing. They're more affluent. It's the whole pick yourself up by your bootstraps. And, thing, and right? it's so um,
0: and it's so destructive to both cultures,
2: to both groups, to both cultures. And 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 so much of which which is why we have to have this longer conversation because there are so much work to be done, which we are so thrilled that we are going to to do with Ascend between Black-Asian relations and relationships, Um, because there is a tremendous and tremendously positive history of where our communities have worked together and been in solidarity. But I think this violence that we're seeing perpetrated against members of the Asian community, and oftentimes by members of the Black community, not exclusively, um, but oftentimes it is, and some of it is the proximity um, that we have in, in where we live in urban areas. And, you know, and we, we have to do the work to really understand and start to um, to tease out what's underneath all of this. And this notion of, you know, we have to re- reject this model minority myth for all the reasons that we've just talked about. But we also have to begin to share with young people the, the rich history that our communities have and the power of us moving forward together and how we're all contributing um, to this larger collective. So this is some of the work that we're going to do with Ascend, and I think a conversation faith that we, you know, certainly want to continue to it, to have with you and others.
0: Uh, I I would be honored to be a part of that. It's a big conversation. It's a long conversation. And it, it involves a lot of history. Um, yeah. So, Greg, you brought up um, what is undeniable and horrific and dramatic, which is this. Uh, spike in anti AAPI sentiment and mm-hmm. um, we should mm-hmm. say that's that's a- AAPI is a- a Asian American Pacific Islander right Correct um for um, let me take a step back Anna and and just ask you the the real question is uh, how, how are you doing is is you know, psychologically, emotionally is right now a harder time for you as an Asian American person than you've experienced in a while.
1: A part of me is so exhausted. I'm exhausted Mm. from the pandemic, the health pandemic. I'm exhausted from the negative effects of the roots of calling this pandemic, the China virus, Mm. I'm exhausted by just the ability or the lack of ability. Now that my family is vaccinated that I still have to worry every day about my 88 year old father who only has probably a few more years of independence and exhausted about worrying about him and his well being because he wants to be independent, but we literally are not allowing him to be because we are so worried about his well being. So, you are afraid exhausted.
0: that if your dad goes out alone, he could be attacked because he's Asian?
1: Yes. And you couple that with just how we're afraid for our parents at a particular age to go out because they may fall or they may, you know, lose their way home. So you have all of that. and But on the flip side of that, I don't wanna leave with just the exhaustion. I do feel um, through the earlier conversation that Greg said, these are such important moments for us and for me to really find our strength. And in one way, while I'm exhausted by all of that, I, I see this amazing, tremendous opportunity for us to really start making some changes to some of the issues Greg just mentioned, right? Of what is the roots of all this anti-Asian hate? It is not as simple as some young people beating up some old people. It's much, much deeper than that. And Greg and I are kindred spirits because we believe in the concept of a journey not the destination. I don't know what will be this destination by the end of when I get to 88. I just know I got to move us forward. I to move us forward with the passion and the conviction that we will be able to make it a better place. That's all I know. And I know that, you know, working together and if we keep the prize of moving forward, that will be better. But I know that I cannot completely erase hundreds of years of history of this nation. I can just make it better going forward.
0: Yeah, it's, um, it, you know, people, people talk about um, the conversations that Black parents have to have, particularly with their Black sons, about how to be careful in our country. And I think about you having a conversation, Anna, with your 88-year-old Asian father, got to be careful in this country. Um, And and that that ties the communities together. Yeah.
2: Yeah, You you just made the point that I thought was so important, Faith, is I I think at a a certain level, we all have a need as human beings to have a sense of safety, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, both physical and emotional safety. And what you hear so many communities, nobody feels safe now, in any community. Like I think that's at the heart of it is no one in our communities right now feels safe. And this notion of safety means different things for different communities. And, you know, we we have to have a conversation like we're having today, open and honest conversations about why Asians don't feel safe, why black people don't feel safe why white people don't feel safe, why elderly people don't feel safe, why LGBTQ community members don't feel safe. Like no one feels safe. Mm. And so we have to get to this place where we begin to heal. But that starts with, you know, as Anna reinforced, it starts with us willing to go on this journey together and have these conversations and where we are hearing each other um, and we're, we're reflecting and studying our history in a much more honest way than we have because we're not gonna be able to move forward unless we all sort of have a, a much more truthful lens on where we've come from. And I think that's where it starts. Um, but I'm like, Anna, like I, and I think I shared this before, like the burden does feel heavy, but there's an incredible book I read years ago by Andrew Young called An Easy Burden. And he talks about, you know, how he and Dr. King and others sort of shouldered this very heavy burden by just thinking about, you know, whatever, you know, from, um, Anna's ancestors, to my ancestors, to your ancestors, what they had to get through to get us to this point is a lot heavier than what we're dealing with. And so when you think about that, the burden becomes a little bit easier because every generation is advancing the ball a little bit further.
0: It These conversations are fundamental. And what I love about what y'all do, Greg, is that is that you also put your money where your mouth is. So so yes. can yeah. So so can you tell us what the bank is doing to support the AAPI community right now? And specifically, let's begin with Ascend. How are you all working uh, together?
2: Taking taking specific action again for us it's that making those commitments, right? And this this conversation inside the bank didn't just happen over the last couple of months. We actually began our conversations in partnership with Ascend over a year ago um, and joined part of their five-point action plan, which was really a broad commitment um, to advance um, outcomes in, in the Asian community um, in partnership with, with, with members um, um, across business and in the broader community. Um, but we have um, made a long-term commitment to Ascend Faith. We've made a $500,000 commitment over the next five years to partner with Ascend and to help fund their impact fund um, and really focus on some of the issues we talked about today, doing the work of creating broader awareness um, and understanding of the model minority myth, um, to really help with leadership development for our own employees, um, to really begin to address some of those employee issues that, um, that Anna talked about in corporate America And third, I really personally, I really want to, and I'm really excited um, to partner with Anna on this work around Black-Asian relations and to do that work. I think it's critical for both of our communities. I think it's critical for our larger community. And I think it could really be a model for how we think about this notion of of solidarity and communities being in solidarity with each other. Um, And so uh, in addition to that national commitment, we've also made commitments in local communities to support um, uh, efforts um, uh, through Ascend in local communities around the country, about six markets that are important to us around the country. So both nationally and locally, you know, we are really excited about this partnership in Ascend and what they bring to us to help us learn and help us advance um, our purpose uh, in DEI as well.
0: I think it's really important that you just noted this was all this was all in process and all being thought about before these horrible yeah. attacks against our fellow americans who happen to be asian were made so urgent and undeniable yes um but
2: well, that's why these partnerships are so important right because they help you you know you, you know repeating where i started which is this notion of listening and learning and when you have partnerships like ascend who you know they, know, they know this space, they know this work far better than we do. And so when we can call on an Anamoc and call on Ascend over a year ago and say, hey, you know, this COVID-19 is being talked about as the Chinese virus, mm-hmm. and what can we do? We don't know what actions to take, but they have ideas. They have work that they're already doing. They're the experts. And so our ability to call on strategic partners like Ascend is absolutely essential as we think about you know really doing the work that benefits all of our stakeholders in our community so
0: anna can you tell us what happens now so so you you get the financial support of the bank and what is ascend going to do with this partnership
1: well first i want to thank greg and the u.s bank team i've been so impressed by the thoughtfulness of the conversations we've had as we shape the partnership and one of the things I was most impressed about was the fact that the view of I want to do this to support my employees our U.S. bank employees right and what they can do but also the community at large so it's really multifaceted which I think is so important as a as an approach for companies to take it is not about giving money to an organization letting them run with it It is about us working together and finding what makes the best impact for the workforce and the community at large. So we have been, this is not necessarily new work for us, Faith. We've been doing related work, but the support of US Bank is really gonna help us accelerate that work and take on with confidence, these really tougher issues like the Black-Asian allyship and solidarity like really pushing the needle on more provocative things that really can start moving the needle more. Because again, the issues we are dealing with today across the communities, they're not new, they didn't just happen. These have evolved over time, but we hope that this work will allow us to go deeper in the solution side of making change
0: tell me i just heard the word provocative i like that word tell me tell me what provocative things y'all are going to do i mean the reason that word stands out to me is that's the best way to bash a model minority myth right that 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 asian people need to perform and conform and stay quiet so talk to me about provocative action
1: well just even talking greg and i last night we're talking about The recent hate crimes against APIs and the fact, again, there's no true track numbers, but at least the visual images media shows looks like it's largely Blacks against Asians. So we want to dig into that. Is that real or not? And then what is the cause of it? What causes a younger African uh, Black man to go and do that? Is it as simple as they as ignorance or is it something deeper than that? So I wanna go into the deeper than that. And I have a personal passion for this because actually my family's first home was in a predominantly black neighborhood. And Greg has heard me share this story. So I myself was a victim at a very young age of a lot of anti-Asian hate perpetrated by blacks. Oh, wow. By fellow black students at schools. And it really wasn't until I started studying the history of race that I really understood a little bit deeper on the why. And it wasn't just because, you know, these are bad kids beating up. These are black kids beating up yellow kids. It's not as simple as that. And my concern is that's the image, right? That is what like believes but it is much deeper than that. Um, and so we have to start challenging and going deeper in those conversations. Otherwise, uh, the, the effects of the myth and the effects of the wedge that the model minority myth creates is actually going to create a dynamic where all peoples of colors will keep fighting each other. Yeah. And that actually is exactly what the system is set up to do.
2: Correct. (laughs) (laughs) The the system actually is working the way it was designed to.
1: (laughs) To the system unknowingly. And so I don't want to be a pawn to anyone. And so that is the work we will start doing. And it is not a one-year work. Mm -mm. It is a lifetime of work for all of us. And we better be ready to kind of, have the energy to do that work
0: you had mentioned um when when we were chatting before we started recording today something about the importance of storytelling with ascend um and you know you just really touched on that just just your sharing that personal story of your experience growing up um it it paints it it paints a really human picture coupled with your curiosity right you're not telling me that story as someone who's angry um, and, and paints a picture of all of certain black kids who, you know, treated you unfairly. You now come at it with curiosity. Why, what's the history of this? What's the deeper story?
1: Yeah, for me personally, as a person, my friends always, um, tease me about being a little, maybe Pollyannish. In fact, my nickname is rose colored glasses. I had executive coach one at once and that's his, what he coined me. So I do believe in all the good that we have as humans. And I do believe one of the challenges also for the API community is we've been quiet. Right back to the model minority myth. We haven't shown our vulnerabilities to the community because we wanted to stand up as the perfect and good minority. And guess what? That means we don't complain. We don't show all of us. So this storytelling aspect that Ascend is encouraging our members to do and we'll have different campaigns to do is really allowing our members and in some ways liberating our members to show we're not perfect. We have hurt, we have pain, we have challenges and we have insecurities just like everyone else. And by the way, just because we have those it doesn't mean I can't be a leader. It doesn't mean that I can't be a great ally. It means I am human and I should be respected as a human because those are natural human experiences and emotions. But our community hasn't really done as much of that, right? Because we are always trying to be that picture of perfection. And people don't don't necessarily expect that from us and expect that vulnerability from us. So I spend a lot of time talking to our members and encouraging them to share the stories of who they are, even if it's challenging to share the story that they got beat up as kids and why and by who and reflect on those stories. Because guess what? Those experiences in our youth shape how we act in the workplace. You cannot decouple that those are just a set of experiences it's what we do with those experiences and how we internalize it that makes that is really what i want to get to right and but you can't ignore those experiences which sometimes in a workplace we are conditioned to separate that side of us from then our work but you can't i think we're seeing that we've seen that right we've seen that with what happened in the last couple of years. We see that right now if you look at what's going on in India. Right? Our Indian colleagues, with everything going on in India with the with the pandemic, they can't separate the fact that we can't separate the fact that we have friends and family who are hurting over there and sick, right? That comes to me every day when I show up at work.
0: Yeah.
2: And and not only that, I, I think that as an organization just to carry that thought further Anna, that organizations have a responsibility to create the environment where employees can share and talk about you know how they're feeling about some of these issues and that's that was taboo for a very long time and you know even the situation in india the the horrible situation that's happening in india um, as an organization we felt it necessary to support our employees and to and, and to develop. And so we are also um, doing a lot of work, um, giving um, support to uh, Give India to, to support um, our employees and families that, that's going on over there. So I think that's a really good example where you know, things that are happening in the larger society affect our employees and how they show up at work. And I think companies are understanding the role that we play as organizations mm-hmm. in helping people come to um, our communities as full people. Um, so that they can fully contribute in these communities that we're calling corporate America
0: listen, you you both nailed it when you call this a journey. this is um this is a journey of a conversation. Um, and 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 I, I really, really want to continue it with you all there's there's so much to dig into um and um, I, I can think of no one better with whom to languish, Greg, <laughs> as, <laughs> as 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 we try to begin the work of, of figuring this out and figuring out how to how to do real good. So. Um, so thank you. Thank you both. and And thank you again. I'll keep thanking you for both being leaders who are so vulnerable and willing
1: to offer your personal stories.
2: Thank you, Faith. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to be here with you. You know that.
1: And I hope I get invited back into this little house that the
2: two of you have created.
0: Anna, there's no question.
2: No question.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Real Good by U.S. Bank. See you soon.